John chapter 3. I really wanted to move further ahead than I got in my study this week. I really thought, David, surely these people are going to understand. You know, uh, you know, when you start putting, you're preaching through a book, uh, those of you in my Sunday school class know this, I can rush through. My wife tells me I, I can talk like an auctioneer. I, I, and I, I think an auctioneer talks pretty good. I mean, I, I mean you know, but that's not good for preaching but, or teaching. But uh, I read the Bible fast sometimes because I feel rushed by time. But let me say this. Uh, I, I, my class also know I like to take time when God tells me to hold down. I wanted to go further in the passage. I've got two verses for you this morning. But there's so much to unpack in those two verses that I really think we need to take this time. Is that okay? Uh, it's got to be because God's, God's the one who gave me the message, and that's kind of, I'm kind of good with that, all right? Um, but as we get started, I want to think about this. Uh, can you, how many of you love somebody? Huh, sir, you probably should have raised your hand right there. <laughs> Let me tell you something. My wife loves grandbabies. I mean, if you see, I love to take pictures of her holding it. We got a new grandbaby. I've, I've talked about this better every time I preach. I did a couple of times. But I, I love to watch people love others. And she, I mean, I really think sometimes she could just kiss the face off that little baby doll. You know what I'm saying? And uh, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, and we, we talk about, but you know what? In spite of our love for one another, we cannot love perfectly. You let that sink in. Now, you may love somebody deeply. You may love somebody sincerely. And you may love somebody as much as you possibly can love somebody. But you cannot love perfectly. Because the only being that loved perfectly is God himself. Expressed through his son on the cross. You know, I can say I love ice cream. I can say I love St. Louis Cardinals. I can say I love the Duke Blue Devils. I can say I don't love the Tennessee Vols. I can say... <laughs> you just voted me out, right? Ohio State Buckeyes. Denise told, got on to me for not mentioning that the other day. We can say we love all kinds of things, but that word love has a lot of different definitions, does it not? A lot of different applications. And we know the Greek has a more specific word, but that's not really what I want to I focus on as much as I want you to realize that John 3.16 is probably the most quoted, most studied verse in Scripture. So I know the mammoth task I have this morning to preach something about John 3.16 that would touch your heart. Let me also say this. I have another sermon that's not this one about this passage, okay? So please understand, God gave me a totally different message this morning, all right? But I preached it here. So if you've got notes in your Bible, Rachel, uh, sometimes she does that. Uh, she says, I preached one, one time. She said, oh, no, I wonder if he remembers he preached that sermon. He's a different sermon, Rachel. That's okay. So I'm saying this right now. My wife takes notes too. And, uh, but if you take notes, this is a different sermon. Let me say this. I love it that God's word is so deep and so rich that you can study it and study it and study it and never see the same thing. There's so much there. And I'm so glad that even though this verse is so, so common, uh, so, so well-known, so, uh, so well-quoted, well that 
it never gets old. Because if we had to summarize, if, I, if someone, gave, so, someone gave this illustration, I think I gave it before. If we were to climb to the, to the gates of heaven and we were to ask God, exactly how much do you love mankind? I believe we'd hear him say, for God so loved the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. If you don't hear anything else today, hear that. Let's pray. Father, I'm praying that right now that you will send a message today that's clear that, God, I'll be able to step aside. Oh, Holy Spirit, would you just fill me? But also, God, would you just let people see you and your word today? I pray, God, that as we look at this verse again, help us, God, to understand that you have something for us to see, something for us to hear, and a response for us to give. Holy Spirit, over, oversee and superintend all that takes place today. God, may you bless me to be to preach your, the message you've given me, but may you bless those listening to respond to what they hear. And may they hear you and your word only. In Christ's name I pray, amen. The first thing I want to see is the fact of God's love. In John 3, 16, it says, For God so loved the world. The idea that God loves the entire world at this time, when he was talking to Nicodemus, that was a new idea. Now, we think about it as old. We think about, of course, God loved the world so much. But you understand, Jesus talking to Nicodemus is saying, Nicodemus, he doesn't just love the Jews. He does not, did not come for a certain group of people. May I say this, that there are those even in, I think, America, even in our world who believes that God came only for a chosen few. Let me say this, that is not what God's saying right here. For God so loved the world, the whole world, everybody in it. Notice he loves the religious, of course. He loves those that think they know about God's love. You know, I believe that in, in church, there's four groups. There's the folks that don't believe anything you say and don't do anything you, tell, you teach them to do. There are those that believe some of what you say but don't do what you ask them to do. There are those who don't believe anything you say, but they will do some of the things you tell them to do. Then that fourth group are those that believe everything you teach and do everything you say. Let me tell you something. I want to be in that fourth group. I want to be that person that says, hey, I believe the word of God. I'm going to trust it and I'm going to live by it. Let me say this. You can be religious here today and Jesus loves you. You can be the person here today just checking a box. I had someone recently tell me, Brother David or Mr. David, I did not come to church uh, expecting what I expected. I was going just to check a box. You know, there are all kinds of boxes we check. I mean, let's face it. Uh, when, how many of you, whenever you were beginning to date, that you had that list of qualities? Anybody have that? Well, I had uh, some... 
You had that? Wow. <sighs> anyone else have that? Okay, I won't point to her. Uh, anyone else have a list? I mean, seriously, come on. How many of you say, how many of you girls say you'd like to someone tall and handsome? Because, is that why you call the guy sitting next to you is not tall and handsome? We all have boxes. Come on now, help me out here. We all have chicks boxes that we check. You go to the grocery store, you check a box. I get a list from Denise and I check a box. I got it, okay? I mean, let's face it, we check boxes. And let me say this, a lot of people just check the religious box. They've done it. They've come to church and, they, and Jesus loves that person. That person that has not really had the moment where Christ came into their heart, saved them, forgave them of their sin, they repented of their sin, and he came into their heart. God loves that person. That person sitting on the pew that may come every Sunday that doesn't know Jesus Christ as their Savior, God loves that person. I'm so glad. He loved Nicodemus. Nicodemus has rejected Christ. At this moment, he's already rejected Christ. He doesn't believe. He doesn't receive. I'm telling you, Nicodemus at this point has rejected the message. But you know what? Jesus loved Nicodemus. He loves the religious. He also loves the non-religious, those who are Gentiles. He want, he's trying to make sure we understand that. God loves every man regardless of their sin. You may be sitting here today and say, Brother David, I do not, you don't know what I've done. I've sinned too deep. I've done too much. I've had too many problems. I've gotten too involved. I've gone too far. I'm unsalvageable. I'm not a person that can be saved. Let me tell you something. God loves you, and he will forgive you. He came to gave his son. Jesus came and gave his life for you, just the same, the non-religious. John 10, 16 says, And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice, and they shall be one fold and one shepherd. Aren't you glad, Gentiles, that Jesus came and said, God so loved the world, he loved the whole world. I'm so glad he loved me. As a Gentile, Romans 10, 12 through 13 says, For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You can put your name right in that verse and understand it's meant for you. You can say, For if David would call upon the name of the Lord, he shall be saved. I'm telling you what, this morning, morning, there is business that God wants to do with you today because he loves you. He loves the whole world. First uh, Timothy 2, 4 says, who will have all men to be saved to come unto the knowledge of the truth. Don't think for one minute that you're left out. Don't think for one minute that you're excluded. This morning, Jesus loves you. Second Peter 2, 9 says, but the Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. God knows how to deliver you from the punishment that you're facing. I'm so glad that there's a fact. We have the idea that he loves the whole world. Then the basis of God's love is his nature. Aren't you glad that we have a holy God? If we didn't have holy God, a holy God, we wouldn't have laws that would govern society. If you did not have a God that wrote down the Ten Commandments as laws, this is very simple thinking here. God's a holy God. He wrote down Ten Commandments, gave it to Moses, and basically said, this is how life should, should happen. You say, well, if I live by the Ten Commandments, I'll go to heaven, right? No, because you can't live by the Ten Commandments. Jesus came later and even expanded on it. He said, thou shalt not commit adultery, but if a man even looks on a woman to lust after her, she, he has committed adultery in his own heart, you cannot keep the Ten Commandments. Let me tell you something. The Ten 
Commandments are not there to tell you how to be saved. The Ten Commandments are to steer you to where you're, you're in sin so you know you're wrong and you need a Savior. Let me tell you something. Jesus, though, has laws that he's put in place. And this base, I'm so glad he's holy. But let me tell you something. On the flip side of that holiness is God's love. You understand the reason why Jesus came was to, to satisfy, to propitiate the holiness of God. But let me say this, he, he did that out of the love that God has. You can't imagine the perfect love that God has for the world. You and I can't understand it because we don't experience. 1 John 4 verse 8 says, He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. Listen, you don't have an option. You've got to love me this morning. Some of you are saying, oh, me. Have you looked in the mirror recently? We got to love each other, don't we? Verse 16 says, and he, we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. Let me tell you something. You cannot have hatred in your heart. I'm serious now. Listen to me. You can't have hatred and the Holy Spirit in your heart at the same time. You can't, because God is love. And when the Holy Spirit comes in, there's love replaces that hatred. Now, please understand, there are times that you hate certain things, right? But for you to have hatred towards somebody, you've got to get right with God before you get right with them, because God's, God's going to deal with that in your heart. The Holy Spirit is going to be grieved. I'm telling you what, therefore, because the basis of God's love is in his nature, he then acts, he, he demonstrates, he shows his love. You know, I think it's wonderful to show love to one another. Uh, we used to play, uh, used to play pretty intense basketball. And after a hard workout, I mean running, uh, uh, all, these, uh, exercise, all these different footwork and all kinds, I mean you're dead tired. And the coach, you want to yet, he said, show some love to one another. Give high five, fist bumps, show some love. I thought, I don't love anything right now. I'm tired. But I'm telling you what, when God's love is part of his nature, when love is part of your nature, it's going to show. Have you ever been around somebody that you just want to be around, around them some more? I mean, they're just so loving. They're, so, they're such good people. You just want to be around them some more. You go around and you say, man, I really enjoyed that person. I really like to be around them some more. And then next thing you know, you're around them some more. You got, man, I, I kind of like to be around. That, you know, that kind of like that. A lot of times people like that, they get married because they, they enjoy one another. Enjoy being around one another. When there's love involved, listen, there is a demonstration of that love. Romans 5, 8 says, but God commendeth or shows his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. There's no other perfect love demonstration than Jesus giving his sinless life for sinful man. There's nothing stronger. There's no other demonstration more strong than God's demonstration for us because of his nature. Thirdly, love expresses it doesn't sit still. God wants everyone to know his love. He doesn't just show it to just you and me and a few. You know, there's some people, God was giving a tour in heaven. They walked in, he opened the door, and people in there worshiping, you know, and they, they, he said, shh. They think they're the only ones in heaven. There's some groups think they're the only ones going to heaven. I'm serious. I had, we had a rel, I had a relative in our family that said in no uncertain terms, our church is the church. 
and no other churches will be in heaven. Let me tell you something. God came for the whole world. And I'm telling you right now, he wants everybody to know it. You, some of you, I, I'm so glad that you know and that you realize I'm not the only one in this church, but our church has a passion for outreach. Seriously. We need, to, we need to do better. Don't get me wrong. I don't think we've arrived, okay? So, but we have a heart for outreach. We have a heart for missions, yes. We have a heart for local missions, yes. I had, I had a couple guys come up to me and say, hey, David, this fall we want to do something for, for a camp. We want to do, help them out a little bit. Let me tell you something. That's heart. That, that's not me. That's the Lord. That's heart. That, that's when they help kids so that kids can hear the word of God. Listen, God wants us to reach out with his love. See, if you've got love in your heart, you want to share it with others. And you want to just reach out. God's word, that's what Jesus did. He's, saying, he's telling Nicodemus, for God so loved the world. And he didn't just stop with Nicodemus. God wants everyone to know. He wants a whole world reached with his, uh, with his love. First John, we got, we're at John 3.16. First John 3.16 says, Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Now, we got to lay our lives down for the brethren. Let me tell you something if it comes to that. We need to be ready. We need to be so connected to the, to, to the people of faith that we're willing to, and, and this world that we're willing to give ourselves so they can hear the gospel. You know, there are a lot of missionaries that went to a foreign field and did not return. Spent their entire life serving Jesus, died in a foreign field, and they gave their life for others. Let me tell you something. That's amazing. First uh, John 4, 19 says, We love him because he first loved us. The only reason we can love God is because he loved us. That's the fact. Notice the evidence of God's love. Notice John 3, 16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Now, I want to make sure we understand that he demonstrated his love in the most perfect way by giving his only begotten son. That's where that, that little word that says, God so loved. You know, when you, when you love someone, I think the English language is trying to somehow demonstrate and communicate the depth and the commitment of that love that he would give away his only begotten son. See, he so loves. He loved his son to perfection. His son, he loved him so very much, but he gave him. Let me tell you, explain to you in Jewish mind what that means. I, that's why I kind of believe that Nicodemus may have had a family. And here's why. To the Jewish community, having a son was so very, very important. Now, let me say this. In our, let's face it, in, in our world, carrying on the name, it's kind of cool to have a son. Uh, I had two daughters, okay? So the road's name stopped there, okay? Uh, and we could keep going with all the, the various benefits, not that young ladies are not important, because I had two of them, all right? But, but in that particular community, having a son was very, very important. But keep in mind, if you only have one son, he's not only the son uh, that would take on your name, but he would also take on all the inheritance of the family and become the patriarch to that family. Whoa, hold on now. Woo. Because we are made joint heirs with Jesus Christ. He so loved us that Jesus, Jesus, he gave his son who was the, the heir of everything and now he gives, gives that to us. 
Do you understand the depth of his love for us this morning? Do you understand the evidence of his love? He's so loved. Uh, John 15, 13 says, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friend. I am a friend of God. I love that song. I'm so glad that we're his friend. We're joint heirs, but we're also a friend with Jesus, and he laid his life down. He demonstrated his love by giving his only begotten son. But notice the twofold meaning of the word gave. It's a Greek word. I won't take time to break it down, the, the Greek for you per se, but it has two meanings. First of all, it means he sent his son to the world. Now that sounds like it, no big deal, kind of like taking a trip on an airplane. You know, if I'm going to send someone from across country, I'm just going to send them across there and they'll be back in a little while. Let me tell you something. He sent him to the world. Now you've got to understand what that means. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit's up in heaven. They'd never had anything separate them. Jesus dwelt in total majesty and glory and beauty, total perfection and worship, no sin, no, no rebellion, no rejection, total acceptance, total affirmation. Jesus, the Son of God, is in heaven with God the Father. There's never, ever since the beginning, there's not a beginning. Forever it's been like, we can't even think in these terms that God the Father, God the Son, have no beginning and no end. They're forever. Let me tell you something. He gave, which, but when he sent him to this world, all that changed. For you see, he was separated from him at that moment. Jesus Christ confined himself to the body of humanity, at starting as a baby and growing to 33 and a half years. They were separated out of glory, came from glory, and down to earth. So the first meaning of the word gave is to the world, but then he gave his son to die for the world. You understand it's one thing for you to send a, a son or daughter off to war with the possibility of loss. You understand, and my total thankfulness and total respect for you as a family. If you've experienced the loss of a family member in military action, let me say, we love you and I appreciate so much what you've done. But when God the Father sent Jesus, the only begotten Son, to earth, he sent him for one purpose that was definitely going to happen, and that was death on the cross for you and I. There was no doubt the purpose. When he said, for God so loved the world that he gave, he's going to send him to the world to die for the sins of the world. It was a two-fold meaning. Yes, he was going to fall. He was going to come to the, to the fallen, to the depraved, to the wicked, to the hostile, to the rebellious. Those are the people. Those that are already in sin. Those that know that uh, they need a Savior. That's the people he came to. You say, wait a minute, David. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not that bad. Well, your sin is bad. It's as bad as anything you've seen. Matthew 26, 37, 38 says, And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Then saith he unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful even unto death. Tarry ye here and watch with me. Jesus' prayer in the garden reveals what he came to do. Isaiah 53, 6 says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. 
Romans 5, 6 says, For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. Do you get it? Do you get it? Jesus died for your sin and for my sin and for our rebellion. For How many of you went through the t- rebellious years, teenage rebellious years? Some of you teenagers, raise your hand. You're going through them right now. Mom and dad's not the smartest people on the earth. How many of you thought your parents really got smart when you turned about 21? You're amazed at how smart they got in just a few short years. Let me tell you something. That rebellion also can be expressed for God. And I want you to see that. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 says, For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which also I received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. And now he asked his disciples to pray with him for a little while. But let me say this very clearly. It was a burden to Jesus. He was burdened near unto death. 2 Corinthians 5, 21 says, For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Aren't you glad that Jesus was given, that he gave his son? Don't you glad that God gave his son to us for us to die in our sin? Die for our sin? Aren't you glad that he did that for us? Isn't that wonderful? Well, there's a threefold threefold purpose of God's love. First of all, I want you to see this in verse... um, uh, 16, verse 16. For God so loved the world, who's ever got, uh, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish. I want you to focus on that word for a moment because we're going to talk about it a little later. Perishing means to be in a lost state in this world. Now those of us who remember being lost being, before we got saved, and the state of mind and heart that we were in prior to salvation. Do you remember those days of uncertainty, those days of misdirection, those days of just making a mess out of life, those days of having difficulty making good decisions? Do you remember the lostness, the perishing around that? Think of it, aging, decaying, without life, purpose, meaning, or significance, without peace, without hope. That's what perishing means here in this life. So perishing, first of all, means a lost state in this world, but perishing means also a lost state in the world to come. That means that eventually we will die a second time if we don't have Jesus Christ as our Savior. If we don't believe in who he is, I'm so glad I got saved when I was young. You know, we got all these children getting saved. I'm so glad they're getting saved young. I'm so glad perishing, it's so important. Uh, uh, Luke 13, uh, 3 and 5 says, I tell you nay, except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. There's no other way around it. We are, he said, that, uh, that, uh, that we should not perish but have everlasting life. Notice, he doesn't want us to perish. That's why he gave Jesus Christ as, our, as a sacrifice so that we would not have to perish neither in this life or the life to come. Let me tell you, the best life to live is a life submitted to Jesus Christ. It's absolutely the best life. So first of all, so we would not perish. Secondly, to save men to eternal life. He came to save men to eternal life. John 1, 4 says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. John 10, 10 says, the, the thief cometh not but to steal, to kill, and destroy. I am come that they might have life, and that they might have it more abundantly. What Jesus wants you to have right now is life. Eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son 
that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. How many of you have that eternal life? How many of you have it right now? You know for sure that you're going to heaven. Praise Jesus for that. And then he says, the way we receive that life is simply believing, place our trust in Jesus Christ. You know, a lot of religions have all kinds of things they have to do. Some people have to pray every day at 3 o'clock. Some people have to say so many rosaries, so many Hail Marys. Some people have to bow at certain statues. So, so many people have to, a lot of different religions offer uh, uh, animal sacrifice as a way for their salvation. Let me tell you something. The way you're saved, according to Scripture, is by repenting of your sin, ask Christ come to your heart, and believing in him that he died, that he rose, and he's sitting at the right hand of the Father. How many of you believe that this morning? Amen. Amen. So Christ it was not, look at verse 17, the proof of God's love, and we're almost done. Verse 17 says, uh, For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but the world through him might be saved. Notice Christ was not sin, sent to condemn or judge the world. Now here's what I, I find happens. A lot of times those of us who get saved forget why we're saved and where we came from, and we tend to be judgmental. We tend to do the judging. Let me tell you something. If a holy, righteous Jesus Christ came into this world and he did not come to judge, we have no place judging someone else. Now, let me say this. Sin is still sin, right? But we don't need to judge the people. Here's what, even though we're guilty of breaking God's law, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You've sinned, I've sinned, all God's people have sinned. Let me tell you something. We need to recognize that in spite of our sin, he came and did not condemn us or judge us. Secondly, we are convicted. Romans 3, 9 and 10 says, what then? Are we better than they? No, and no wise, for we have before proved both Jews and Gentiles that they are all under sin as is written. There is none righteous, no, not one. Let me say this this morning. You are not righteous. I'm not righteous. And you need to sense your unrighteousness in the presence of the love and holiness of God. How do you stand before God right now? Whenever I think about, when I think about me, I stand before God and it humbles me to think that Jesus Christ came and paid for my sin. And he, paid, he did that. He died while I was a sinner. Christ sent, was sent to save the world. In other words, a world through him might be saved. Luke 2, 11 says, For unto you is born this day. You remember the, the Christmas story. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Matthew 10, 28 says, Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and give his life a ransom for many, Jesus came for that reason. And, and um, for the son, Luke 19, 10 said, uh, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. The reason he came is to seek you out and seek me out and for us to be saved. Christ is the only means of salvation. There in verse 17, through him, it says the world through him might be saved. That phrase means that he is the only way. How many of you would, look at, would say today, I know for sure that Jesus is the only way? Amen. How many would say, I trusted in Jesus as my way to heaven? Amen. Would you know there are those in this congregation, though, that though they're being warned right now about perishing, they still won't accept him. Did you know perishing is a difficult thing? Did you realize how important it is? See, it's important that you don't think that you can save yourself, that you don't think that I don't think I can be good enough. I can't be good enough to go to heaven. 
It's only through Jesus, through him. 1 Timothy 1.15 said, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Jesus Christ came in the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Let me tell you something. When you remind yourself of who you are, you'll be thankful for what he did. And I'm telling you, I'm so glad that I remember I'm a sinner and Jesus saved me. Acts 4.12 says, we'll jump down there, neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. I want to speak to you this morning and challenge you this morning to heed the warning of John 3.16 and verse 17. There's a warning there. It says, and, and it says, for God so loved the world, we mentioned that, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him, that's not difficult, should not perish. I can't tell you how awful hell is. But in the book of Luke, we find out how awful hell is. The story of rich man and Lazarus. And you remember the story where the rich man woke up or Came, became aware in hell. And he sees Lazarus afar off being comforted in Abraham's bosom. There's a great gulf fixed so that they could not go between. And you remember what happened to him? He asked for a drop of water first. But then he asked, go tell my brothers. This place is so awful. Please go warn my brothers, please go warn my brothers. I don't want them to perish. Perishing is something that's serious. When God says the word perish, it's serious this morning. I don't mean to be trite and I don't mean to be unkind this morning, but I, my, my attention has been directed this week on the dis disaster of the Titan submersible that happened this week. My heart goes out to the loss and those families. But as I watched the news and I observed and listened to what has happened, for the word Titan, I looked it up. The word Titan means a person or thing of very great strength, intellect, or importance. So we know that either Monday or Sunday, Sunday or Monday, a tragedy happened in the depths of the sea. We know that that Titan submersible imploded and all five passengers were lost. That happened this week. It reminded me of kind of the Challenger explosion that happened years ago. I'm like, this is tragedy that these people exploring and trying to figure out something trying to see something, were lost. Stockton Rush, the CEO, is one of the five that perished, perished in that terrible accident. And it has since been shown that he dismissed safety warnings as baseless cries, and emails show that he had been warned many, many times about his protocols and products of this submersible. Now, some of you are saying, David, you're blaming him. I'm not blaming anybody. We're trying to make sense of this tragic accident, and it was terrible. It reminds me, though, of the very object of their search, the Titanic. For you see, Titanic is the adjective 
of the word titan. And it means of exceptional strength, size, or power, the Titanic ship. Edward Smith was the captain of the Titanic. On its maiden voyage, the Titanic received six warnings of sea ice on April 14th, but was traveling at a speed of roughly 22 knots when her lookout sighted the iceberg. Unable to turn quickly enough, the ship suffered a glancing blow that buckled her starboard side and opened six of her 16 compartments to the sea. They hit the iceberg April 14, 1912, sank 1,513 to 17, I see different numbers, people died, and it was all surrounded by the, by the, the phrase, unseekable. And even God can't seek the Titanic. When you do not heed warnings, people perish. If you don't heed warnings, you can perish. If I don't heed warnings, I can perish. Captains Smith's Last words, be British, whatever that means. There is such a similarity between the two disasters, the Titan and the Titanic, in that both captains were warned and ignored the warnings. And it not only affected them, but it affected others. Now, you listen to me, Dad, Mom, Granddad, Grandma. You've heard a warning this morning. You've heard a clear warning from the most famous verse in Scripture. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You're warned. You have it now in hand. Are you going to continue your course of destruction to the point of perishing? Or are you going to act on the word of God and simply trust him as your savior? He invites you today. Let's have every head bowed.